The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Kings 18, 36 to 39th verses. At the hour of the afternoon sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and prayed, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove now that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and have done all this at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, the Lord our God, that you are bringing them back to yourself. The Lord sent fire down, and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, and the stones, and scorched the earth and dried up the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they threw themselves on the ground and exclaimed, The Lord is God. The Lord alone is God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a little background on this story we heard today. We kind of caught the last part of this great story. It actually begins in 1 Kings about chapter 17. Ahab became king. And according to the Bible, Ahab did more to offend God than any other king before him. Not the least of which was to marry a woman named Jezebel, who was not Hebrew, who worshipped Baal. And it was easy to tell who wore the pants in that family, because Jezebel had all the prophets of Yahweh, all the priests of Yahweh offed, they got rid of them, and replaced them with the priests of Baal, whom she used to throw big parties for. She'd have them over for dinner, and they'd whoop it up, and uh, caused all kinds of trouble. And God, in an effort to remind God's people about who God was, sent Elijah, who brought word that there was going to be a drought for three years. And that starts a whole story there in 1 Kings as well. But we pick up the story, at the end of three years, the Lord came to Elijah said, get up and go to Ahab, and I'm going to tell you what to do when you get there. So... Hey, uh, Elijah, he sends his buddy, uh, um, Ob- let me see here, Obadiah, who was a faithful person to God who hid a hundred priests in caves in order to keep them from being killed by Jezebel. Uh, and he said, uh, Obadiah, go tell Ahab I'm coming. Well, Obadiah was a little concerned because he thought Ahab would uh, kill him. And then by the time Obadiah brought him the news, Ahab was concerned because Elijah was coming and no one likes to see the prophet coming. And so Ahab went out to meet him and he said, is that really you, you troublemaker? Because they hadn't seen him for three years, right? Is that you, you troublemaker? Is what Ahab said to Elijah. And Elijah says, it's not me causing trouble in Israel, Ahab. It's you, my friend. And he said, the Lord your God is not very happy with you right now. And so Elijah says, I want you to assemble all the people. I want you to bring all of your priests of Baal together. And we're going to have a little, we're going to have a little contest. And Elijah says, get us two big giant bulls. One for the priests of Baal 
and one for Yahweh. And we're going to have a little face-off in sacrificing. Set up a sacrifice, but don't light it on fire. You, Baal priests, you set up your sacrifice first on Mount Carmel. And so they did. They stacked wood around. They cut up this bowl and they laid it out the way it's supposed to be. And they stacked wood around. And Elijah says, you go ahead. You, you, whoever's God can light up, provide the fire for this sacrifice, that God is God. And what Elijah says is if Yahweh is God, then worship Yahweh. If Baal is God, then worship Baal. So let's see how it goes. So, 450 priests of Baal versus Elijah. That's how it's going. 450 priests of Baal. And they gather around and they start praying. Uh, you know, to their God. God Baal, bring fire. And they start waving around. They start early in the morning. And they're running around. And pretty soon they start stumbling around the around the 450 of them start stumbling around the big uh the big altar there with all the cut up meat parts and they're praying and they're praying around noon elijah starts to get cocky and he's like where is your god maybe he's left maybe he's asleep get louder you're not loud enough get louder and so they do they start screaming oh come on now bring on the fire and then they start doing this. They start cutting themselves up with swords and they're bleeding everywhere and it's a big mess. And they go and they're, they're just, they're trembling around. Please bring on the fire. Well, just before evening, they give up. Nothing's going to happen. It ain't going to happen. So they collapse over in the corner and Elijah says, all right. Again, he's feeling pretty confident at this point. So Elijah says, all right. I'm going to rebuild the altar you destroyed, Jezebel. And so he puts up 12 rocks representing the tribes of Israel, and he reconstructs the altar on Mount Carmel. And he cuts up the pieces and puts them out, and he piles a little bit of wood in there. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get four giant buckets of water. And I, want you to just, and I want you to dig a pit around the altar, and I want you to just drench that sucker in water. And they go and they throw water all over the wood, all over the sacrifice. They just drench it with four big giant things of water. And then he says, now go do it again. And they go get more water, and they do it again. And he says, go do it again. And they do it three times. They drench that sucker. There's water everywhere. It fills up the big trench. There's all this water. And it's good and soaked like it was in Seattle or something. And it, it sits there just dripping wet. And then Elijah quietly, quietly goes before the altar. And he kneels down. And he, almost in a whisper, he says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. 
and that you have turned their hearts back. And he gets up, and he slowly backs away, <laughs> and then BAM! All this fire comes raining down, and it burns up the altar and all the beef, and it burns up the wood, and it burns up all the water around, and it burns up everything in sight. Boom! Yeah! <laughs> Elijah's like, yeah, baby! <laughs> In your face! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Bam! <laughs> and everyone freaks out and falls to their face and start praising God. Yahweh is indeed Yahweh. And Elijah says, if Yahweh is Yahweh, if Yahweh is God, follow Yahweh. If Yahweh is God, follow Yahweh. What a powerful story. I love that story. Good storytelling stuff there in the Bible. I love that story. What an incredible display of God's power. And there's great good that comes from this. It establishes God's eminence. It establishes Elijah's place as God's prophet. And it helps it finally helps most of, the, most of Israel decide once and for all to put their faith in God. In fact, Elijah ran out the priest. Well, he, I, I should say, he had all the priests of Baal killed, and they got rid of all the idols. And the only one who uh, was upset about that was Jezebel. And, we'll, and she, uh, she got pretty mad about it. But the rest of Israel said, you know what? Here we are. This is right. I think we're going to follow Yahweh from now on. I think this is the direction we ought to go. And you know, I've got to say, for, for many of us, a, a powerful story like this, a powerful interaction with God like this certainly would have the effect of convincing us, of, of, of giving us that thing to hang on to, right? When someone came up to someone uh, in Elijah's day and said, how come you worship Elijah? They, they didn't have to think. They told this story because God made all this fire happen and it was, it was an incredible story. And you know, I got to say, for many of us, um, we've had some miraculous experiences that have contributed to our faith. We, we've had these experiences where we've seen the mighty power of God. And sometimes we, we grab onto those and we go, that is why I follow God. That is why I follow Christ. And it's this incredible show of power. Power to turn things around when we have hit rock bottom or when we've come to our worst version of ourselves. God's power to change things. But I want to say this morning, one of the things I, I, I get as I look at this, I recognize that these miracles, though they bring a lot of good, are costly as well. Our idols that we worship can take a lot out of us before we get to these miracles. And many have given themselves to worldly and fleshly pursuits only to lose their family, their friends, and most especially themselves. You know what I'm talking about. When we have latched on to something that has taken the place 
of God's love in our life, of God's providence in our life, of God's preeminence in our life. And we replace that with something else that just sucks the life right out of us. Waiting for a mighty show of God's power can be very costly to ourselves and our lives. Likewise, this this miracle on Mount Carmel was a bittersweet victory for God, I think. I think God was disappointed that God had to go to such lengths to get Israel's attention. God was disappointed that He had to compete with some idol in the first place. Where was their faith? Had God not delivered them from Egypt? Had God not provided manna in the wilderness? What happened? Where is it? Am I loud? I'm loud, aren't I? (laughs) What happened? Why? Why did they take so long? God was disappointed that when the drought came, no one looked to God. No one prayed to God. No one said, how can we turn Yahweh around on this? How can we turn ourselves back to Yahweh and then receive the blessing that comes from that? It's a story about God's disappointment and all the opportunities the people missed to be back in right relationship with God. God was disappointed that when Elijah asked them to choose Baal or Yahweh, all voices fell silent. I don't think God likes to have to make this kind of showy display of power. It has set up a situation that makes it hard for people to hear God when God is whispering. I suppose my loudness doesn't help either. I've got to tell you, yelling at my children, when I, when I yell at my children all the time, it means that the only way I can get their attention is if I yell at them. Right? You all know what I... Parents know what I'm talking about. If I had started out whispering, then they would pay attention when I whispered. But because I, I yell, you know, if I yell, it means I always have to yell. It's the same way with God in this story. If God has to show a big, if God has to bring fire down and and have a bunch of Baal priests gotten rid of, I don't think the good things have been accomplished that God wants to bring. It's too high a cost. God doesn't like showing this kind of power. It's exact at a cost that was never intended. Many people died that day. And it's easy to blame God for those deaths, but I think the point of the story is that it was Israel's unfaithfulness that exacted that cost. The reality that God's people could not remain faithful in the presence of pagan worshipers was a disappointment to God. Jesus tells us that it's better to have faith that doesn't need that kind of radical display of power. When uh, Thomas is waiting for, meets up with the disciples after Jesus' resurrection and they keep telling him, oh yeah, Jesus is alive. He says, I won't believe it unless I can touch Jesus myself. Well, John 20, Jesus appears and says, go ahead, touch me if you have to. 
But blessed are those... You, you believe because you see and you touch. But blessed are those who don't see and don't touch and yet still find faith and the capacity to believe. Amen. Blessed are those who don't have to have the big giant show of power to know God's presence and to know God is God. I think the, story, the point of this story today for us is really, is really twofold. The first message here is one that I think Jesus put best Himself. You cannot serve two masters. You'll either love one or hate the, and hate the other or love the other and hate the one. You can't hold on to Baal and still be faithful to God. You can't play both sides of the fence. And for some of us, our Baal is some kind of worldly thing that we put a lot of faith in. Things we do to try and feel better about ourselves, but ultimately perhaps create more problems. For others, our Baal is the inability to change our hearts and to grow. We hold on to things such as bitterness, resentment, mistrust, prejudice. These are idols that can eat away at our joy and can eat away at the joy of others. For others, Baal is that voice that constantly looks for more proof. If God is so great, then God would... dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blanks. And how many times have, have we known someone or even in our own pain and grief wondered how can God... How can God allow? Right? And that all comes from a very real place. But sometimes it's, if we don't get past that, we can, we can never claim our faith again. We can never find that redemptive relationship. We can't look past the pain of the world and recognize that it's not God's doing. Whatever our Baal, God tells us that we can't hang on to them and be faithful to God. If Yahweh is God, let Yahweh be God. God challenges us to give up those idols, those things that ultimately suck our life away from us anyway. And that we replace God with. Give them up. And choose faithfulness. The second message is this. It's better to choose faithfulness before the radical and destructive display of power happens. Sometimes I think we, we ask too much. We ask too much. So often it seems like we're waiting for God to make some kind of move. And yet, faithfulness is ultimately something we choose. I mean, it's amazing our capacity to ignore. I am sure that day that there were plenty who still said, well, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I mean, that's pretty cool and all. Fire, you know, burned up everything. But eh, I don't know. I'm still wondering. 
And the truth is we miss a lot by waiting for a sign from God. God delivered His people from Egypt and still they wanted to see if God was really there. God took away the rain and still they waited to see. God gave them a prophet who gave them a choice and still they waited to see. And God set the fire. And even then there were those who were unconvinced. We too have seen God at work. Amen? We too see how God has sent Jesus, who died on a cross and rose again on the third day and lives and is at work in our lives today. And He is here today when we gather in His name. And yet so often it feels like we're waiting to see. Waiting to see something that's going to happen. Waiting to see if God's really going to do something. When in fact, here's the reality, I think God is waiting to see as well. I think God's sitting around going, what else can I do? (laughs) I have given you all that you need. And I am not going to part one more sea. I am not going to bring one more plague or judgment. I am not going to cause the sun to stop one more time. And I am not going to send one more sun until we make a move until we start living out the kingdom of God the way God showed us to I think Jesus has equipped us with everything we need to live faithful lives and God is not going to bring one more radical display of power Except through you and through me. Because we have been empowered with everything we need. That same God who rains fire on Mount Carmel is at work in you and me when we gather ourselves together and we say, God, use us to transform the world. Use us to change the hearts of the people we come in contact with. Use us to spread Your love. Use us to help every soul we come in contact with know that they are a beloved child of God through the way we extend our love to them. Use us in this way. And I'll tell you what, that though it's not as showy, will bring about more heart-changing power than all the miracles in the world. That love of God, love from God, that is at work in us, reaching out and touching others, that's more fire than I'll ever want to see. And for us, for the whole world, it becomes a choice of faithfulness or sitting and waiting for God to do it. Yahweh is God. Let Yahweh be God in our life. Let us pray.
Loving God, there's so many great stories of miracles in the Bible. And and they become so symbolic for us of how important our faith in You is. And that the heart-changing power we're waiting for is right here. It's the power You've given us through Christ It is the power of walking the way. It is the power of the Spirit of God dwelling in each of us. Living out that kingdom of equity and love and peace. Give us the strength. Give us the faith to be the people of God You called us to be even in the presence of compelling pagans in quotation marks (laughs) and all the idols that conspire to take your place. May our faith stand strong. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.